Good morning. For many of you who are unfamiliar with churches who use the lectionary, uh, there's a three-year cycle, year A, year B, year C, that, that reflects the full narrative of the scripture. And each week we have four scriptures that each have follow a certain theme in, in what we work. Now, most of the time we preach from the gospel, um, but we'll reference the other scriptures. Um, but it helps us avoid that temptation of pulling a scripture out of context and just making it fit what we want to say. But it does also force us to preach on things that we wouldn't normally preach on. If you're interested, today's scriptures are actually listed on page 728 in the uh, Book of Common Prayer uh, under year C. Now, when Kathy and I were leading Young Life clubs, about once a year we'd have what we call a backwards club. The leaders would dress backwards, they'd come backing into the room, turn and greet the teenagers with goodbye, thanks for coming, and then run the entire club in reverse. At the end, we'd say something like, welcome to Young Life, we're so glad you're here. It was confusing, but it was a ton of fun. And so for today's message, I'm gonna start with the end. Pray, persist, prevail, and praise God for his presence. So let's close our time together in prayer. God, we thank you for this time as we gather in your name. May the Holy Spirit fill our hearts and our minds as we listen for you in these words and in our own thoughts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in the same way, in this scripture, Jesus starts with the answer. This is really unusual. When he gives a parable, he usually gives a parable and lets people struggle with it. And finally, the disciples come up and say, what in the world did that mean? And this time, he actually tells you. He said a parable, he told them a parable that they should always pray and not give up. Now, many times in life and faith, we need to start with that end in sight. It's like answering a complex question with, well, the short answer is yes. And then you're going to explain, try to understand it. Jesus tells this parable about a wronged, persistent widow and an uncaring judge who finally gives her what she wants because he's just so weary of hearing her complaints. Now, at first glance, this could really be misunderstanding. Uh, misunderstood. Usually in Jesus' parable, whenever he has a judge or a king or a master, it's a symbol of God and how God responds. But in this case, the, the judge in no way reflects who God is. In fact, it's a parable of contrast. This judge who has no care is in contrast with the God we know who does care a great deal. He doesn't even resemble the Jewish judges of that time. He was appointed probably by Herod or by the Romans because the Jewish judges had a completely different system that looked a lot more like mediation um, when they were resolving problems like this. They were notoriously corrupt and their nickname, uh, which was a play on the, the Jewish words, um, the Hebrew word, um, was the robber judges because they were so corrupt and that they would take such advantage of folks. So when Jesus told this story, Everybody knew who he was talking about in terms of these corrupts. And the contrast is between this unjust God, uh, judge who eventually will do the right thing and our God who cares about us and will always do the right thing. 
even after this judge makes the right decision, even after exhausting all other options, which I kind of know some people that way. <laughs> Maybe I have been at times. But the point is, if the corrupt judge will do the right thing, in verse 8 it says, will not God, who loves you, that's my, my emphasis on the scripture, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones, those who know and love God, who cry out for him day and night, again, my commentary, those who persist and pray and struggle, will they not prevail? The words of Jesus. The widow, of course, represents all who are oppressed or marginalized or poor, and the corrupt judge represents a godless world where greed rules and human life is devalued and nothing is truly sacred. God, of course, represents himself, as he always does in Holy Scripture and in our daily lives. But the parable makes an important connection between our faith and God's justice, and it begs two questions. First, do we have faith in God's ultimate justice in the struggles we have with others? Do we have faith in God's justice in the struggles we have with others? But second... Is God's justice properly expressed through how we live out our faith in relationship to others? The first question is, do we trust God? And the second question is, can God trust us to make ethical and caring decisions and just decisions in our interactions with others? And the key point that, that this parable makes is God has not forgotten us. Through prayer, we do not forget him. We are called to be persistent in faith even as we struggle with powers and principalities of this unjust world. When my stepfather passed away, I saw this up close and personal. My mother, who was widowed, um, she paid for work that wasn't done. She was overcharged for work that was done. And in this prayer, I'm really proud of the widow for, for irritating that judge until things were set right. Sometimes you just got to rattle some cages to get things set right. Verse 1, Jesus told them always to pray. Verse 3, this, the widow persisted. Give me justice against my adversary. Verse 4, she prevailed. The judge said, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down or drive me batty in my translation. Jesus further explained in verse 7 that the parable was saying that God gives justice to those who cry out to him day and night. Now, does this mean that if we love Jesus, we don't ever have any problems, all our troubles go away? Well, certainly not. In fact, our stable lives may become more dangerous depending on where God calls us to live and what God calls us to do. He may be calling us out of our comfort zone to bring message of forgiveness and hope to a lost and hurting people. I think of Justin Smith, a postulant in the ordination process, who says that his calling is to come alongside our homeless population. Quote, I'm too comfortable, what Justin said to me. I want to put myself in more situations that make me really uncomfortable. Now that's an act of faithfulness in his heart. He's learning that followers of Jesus are called to be bridge people. We dwell on the edge of wickedness for the sake of others. And Jesus invites us there. And he even goes with us there. So never equate ease with joy. 
Taking it easy certainly is enjoyable. And most of the time, though, love, compassion, kindness, justice, they look a lot like sacrifice. And this is where we find our joy. It's like having children. Do all your troubles go away once you have children? Of course not. You probably, you got plenty of worries and stresses to fill each day, but it's totally worth it. That's one reason children are such a gift of God. They teach us to love sacrificially. One of my early ministry mentors said, you know, my trouble started when I became a Christian because I had to learn how to love people. Kathy and I and several others from servants recently returned from the new Wineskins Global Missions Conference in North Carolina, uh, where over 1,600 Anglicans from 51 different countries were there. It's a wonderful event every three years, and I really recommend uh, going. That people came to, to share and worship and pray and learn and find encouragement and, to, and for some to restore their hope. At the conference, I, during one of the meals, I happened to be standing in line with a bishop from western part of Kenya, which actually Kenya is the province we came under uh, when we came out of the Episcopal Church. We came under the Kenyan bishop. It wasn't this gentleman. And he's, he's in an area close to Somalia. And he asked if I remembered the 2015 massacre of Christian students by a militant group, Al-Shabaab at that university. I was taken aback. He said, that school's in my diocese. I remembered it vividly reading in the news. I, I imagine some of you too as well, because obviously the Kenyan connection. Almost 150 students were killed, threatened with a choice of life or death based on their willingness to deny Christ Back in 2015 when I was reading it, I felt like I could hear their young voices as they stared at the weapons of their captors. And the news report told one student's response, deny Jesus? But we love Jesus. We can't deny him. And I imagine for several, these were their last words on earth. When we give our lives to Jesus, bad things still happen. I didn't say they can happen. I said they will happen. Obviously, our prayers matter, and obviously, our calls to God for justice matter, but this is a world broken by sin, by, by ours, our own, and others, by the, but the persistent faith, the persistent faith that doesn't give up, the prevailing faith, the struggling faith, never travels down this lonely road alone. Jesus has promised us that he would never forsake us. He would never abandon us. God dwells in us and for us and through us for the sake of others and through others for our sake as well. And we call that church. Sometimes even in the worst of times, in the worst of times, we get these glimpses of that internal peace that Jesus promised a peace that passes understanding. So incredibly, this bishop now then told me what's going on now and the efforts that have been made for peace and finding um, common ground with the members of El Shabaab in that area. Several are now seeing Christians as real people and good neighbors because of the efforts of Christians to forgive and build friendships. Now, 
I cannot get my mind around the strength it would take after such a horrendous attack on, on young leaders preparing for various professions to be able to have that kind of redemptive love. But they model it for us. Sometimes persistence, sometimes getting up one more time than you get knocked down, is a, looks a lot like not returning violence for violence or hate for hate, but is learning to respond to angry, biting actions with patience and gentleness. That's persistence. And sometimes justice looks a lot like forgiveness. Luke 18, verse 8, Jesus asked rhetorically, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Yes. Yes, he will. Because we love Jesus. We will not deny Jesus. We love Jesus. So now let's look back at the Old Testament patriarch whose life was just one long struggle. And you can see the connection between this scripture and the Old Testament scripture in, in Genesis. I want to tune in just to Genesis uh, 32, the section 24 to 29, which is very much at the heart of the Jewish story throughout the history. You remember the patriarchs of the faith, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? Well, Abraham was very old when his wife had Isaac, Sarah, wife Sarah. And Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, had twin sons, Jacob and Esau who became dramatically estranged from each other. By the way, half of Genesis is about Jacob and his story and his family. So uh, chapter 25 through chapter 50, if you want to read a really amazing story that is a foundation of the, of the Hebrew and the Jewish mindset of striving and prevailing and wrestling with God, Jacob inherits God's covenant and this agreement between God moves from being with two small family units into a massive people group and nation. Jacob had 12 sons and each of them became the patriarch of their own tribe. Genesis 32, 24. And a man wrestled with Jacob until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Whenever you see the letters E-L in a Hebrew word, that, that means God or gods or some form of relationship to God. So Israel, the one who strives with, the one who prevails with, the one who wrestles with God is where that name comes from. Well, that became part of the whole Jewish history and the whole Jewish narrative is the fact that they keep struggling with God and they keep um, doing the things that has brought uh, life to us through Jesus Christ. Now, Jacob's called Israel and his whole personal story is one of struggle, and he's a father to an entire people who struggle and wrestle and ultimately prevail as God's covenant people. His name holds great significance. So when you hear the children of Israel, you know what they're talking about. When you see the 12 tribes of Israel, 
and they, their long history of tension and violence and conflicts in several, several wars, as well as remarkable acts of repentance and rededication to God. And through them came our incarnate Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the Jewish Messiah, but also the Savior of all who believe and profess, including you and me. But remember what followed Jacob's struggle. It was a blessing in verse 29. Jacob didn't let this theophany go without asking for a blessing, and he got one. We have the presence of the same God within us through the Holy Spirit. We are blessed people. Regardless of how much we struggle and we wrestle and we strive, through Jesus, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, our faith in God prevails. Alleluia. Don't avoid the struggles in life. Persistence leads to a prevailing faith. God does, calls us to do hard things. He's glad for us to do the easy things and enjoy life, but when he calls us, he's calling us to something that involves some level of sacrifice, whether in parenting or marriage or work or loving our neighbors or serving others or volunteering or committing our life to serve in ministry and missions. 2 Timothy 4, 5 tells us, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. Keeping your minds clear is another way of saying, pay attention to what God has put on your heart. When Kathy and I began Death Team Quest back in 2000, there was another alternate that I, of work that I was doing, a consulting business I was developing, but I found I couldn't take my mind off of, of lost and hurting deaf teenagers who had virtually no outreach ministry to them in the country. I think about it, I couldn't get it off my mind, and I think that's a great indication of God's calling in our life. He's not calling us to go do things we don't want to do. He's calling us to do things that we just can't wait to do because it's so much on our hearts. And so pay attention to that, that, that voice in your mind that's saying, what are we doing about homeless, like Justin's calling, or any other need in our community? Pay attention. Don't be afraid of suffering to the Lord. That's an invitation to a lifetime of adventure. But let me encourage you, be open to find the joy in striving. And adventure sometimes also feels a lot like sacrifice. But I promise you, with God, you will prevail. Be of good courage. Pray, persist, prevail, and praise God for his blessings and his presence in your life. By the way, good morning. Welcome to Servants. I'm glad you're here. You know, we just need to begin each day thinking about the answer. Jesus Christ, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And in his holy name we pray. Amen.